Good morning, Church. So I'll read book uh, Exodus 30, chapter 34. <clears throat> so Moses chiseled out two stone tables, uh, tablets like the first ones, and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning, as the Lord has commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshipped. Thank you. Can I ask James to come here, please? We're going to pray for him. So it's, it's a nice opportunity to say thank you for you to come and to have this time with us. And as we pray, Lord, we bring James to you this morning and we ask you to use him for your glory. So you make him an instrument of your peace and bring to us your precious word, Lord, in your name. Amen. Okay, well, morning, everyone. Uh, it's great to be with you all. Uh, and I just want to say thank you as well for a really warm welcome. I've had so many people come up to me and say hi and notice that I was here. So I uh, really appreciate that. It's so nice to be, to come into a church and see so many people make the effort. So thanks for making me feel at home. Um, also, just to let you know a little bit more about me. Um, so I was a youth worker. I know I said that there weren't any more youth anymore. That's not because I was rubbishing my job and they all left. Yeah. It's just because there weren't any more young people in the church. They'd all kind of, they've all graduated now. But I've got the real privilege, actually, of knowing them, a lot of them as friends now. And some of them are Christians, some of them not. But what's great is, is that so many of them still want that kind of um, contact and relationship. And so I'm sure Chris would say the same thing. It's a, real, it's a real privilege, actually, to be able to walk with young people and see them grow and develop um, into adults and then kind of journey with them a bit in, in life, which is great. I now work as a secondary school teacher. I work at St. Bede's um, as an RE teacher. And I also do a bit of PSHCE, which is all like healthy eating, don't do drugs and all that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, and I really love working there. And I think it's a great place to, we'll just do the job of teaching, but also I've got a great opportunity because it's supposed to be a joint Catholic, joint Anglican school. I can talk about Jesus quite openly, which is nice. Certainly I'll get loads of opportunities to share with the young people there about that, which is great. But this morning, I'm going to look at the theme of God being abounding in love and faithfulness. I'm going to carry on looking at the um, the prayer, well, this this statement that Moses got about God, which is the most quoted bit in the Bible, the the bit the Bible quotes itself the most. So we're looking at today at God being abounding in love and faithfulness. So if we go to the first slide, so... 
Um, and I have the next slide as well, please, if that's possible. So, yeah, it starts off, it tells us that the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. Now, it's really important to say when we look at this, that those two words are always linked in the Old Testament. Um, and I didn't realize this until someone pointed it out, but that really is the case, that when it talks about God's love, it always talks about his faithfulness as well. And there's a real kind of reason for that. It's really kind of getting at something quite important. If I could have the next slide, please. Um, and that's because the two words that are used uh, here are the words, well, the word love is the word, if I could have the next slide, the word hesed. Well, I think that's how you say it. Um, I always find if you put a little bit of an accent on anything Hebrew, it sounds like you know what you're talking about. But chesed, there we go. Um, and that means, that's talking about God's love. But the other word is emet. Again, chemet. Um, yeah, sounds more authentic. But that is talking about his faithfulness. But the two are really linked because um, one thing you see time and time again in the scriptures is that God commits in love to people. So his love isn't just talking about something he feels. It's talking about a kind of decision he makes um, that he commits to people. So it's talking about committed love or covenant love. So if I could have the next slide, please. That'd be great. So here we go. So here's an example. It's in one of the Psalms. It's Psalm 108, verse 4. For great is your love, higher than the heavens, your faithfulness reaches the skies. So you can see there how they're linked both closely together. But the point was that God is a God who makes commitments to people and sticks to them. And that is an expression of his love. So this morning, I want to kind of look at that uh, with you all a little bit. So um, if we could have the next slide. So I've got three points because I was told when I trained at Bible college that Baptists love having three points in their sermons. I don't know if that's true, but uh, I thought I'd better do that. So we've got number one, God is committed to his people. Number two, God's love doesn't let us down. And number three, God's love transforms us. So let's look at the first one. Um, again, next slide. So the first one is God is committed to his people. Um, we've got a little symbol there from a video that kind of explains about covenants. But um, it's really helpful just to remember what a covenant is. Um, you might know, but it's always good to go over it. It's how the ancient world worked. It's how they did um, deals and agreements. So... Just an example, if I was, and you know, it's not hard to imagine this, if I was a fearsome warlord that is in charge of an impressive army, I might be like, okay, well, I've got my army, but we need feeding. So I might find Chris Farmer, who is a farmer. He, he's in charge of a community of farmers, and he's a bit weedy and pathetic, so he needs protection and help. So I might be like, okay, well, here's the deal, Chris. What if every month you give me a certain amount of your crops and your food to feed us, and if you ever get in trouble, we'll come and defend you. So that's how it would work. But the problem is, is that, well, how do you back that up? It's really easy to say something, isn't it? But can you actually back it up and do it when things get hard? Because Chris might get attacked by another tribe that are really fearsome, and I might be like, nah, I don't really fancy it. Or actually, we're probably going to lose, so I'm not going to bother. Or if, or if times might get hard for Chris and he might not grow enough crops and he might think, well, let's not bother giving him this time. So what they would do is they make a covenant, which was like deeper than a promise. And when you did it, you'd often have an animal there that would be killed in front of you and then you cut it in half 
and you'd normally get some of the blood on you. And the point would be, if either of us break this contract, may the same thing that happened to the animal happen to us. So you didn't enter this lightly. It was something, it was really kind of life or death, that if you broke this covenant, you had the right to kill the other person, to take their life. And people knew that. So it's a very kind of serious contract. Um, we don't really have them these days. The closest we do is, is, a, is a wedding, is a marriage, but it still doesn't quite show the depth of, of the kind of the severity, if you broke it, that they had in the ancient world. But what's really interesting is, if you can have the next slide, please. Um, what's really interesting is that if you know that, it makes sense of the covenants that God makes with the people. Because he's basically saying the same thing. This is in Exodus 24, verse 6 and 7. So they've just been given... Moses has just given them the Ten Commandments and he's, they've been told, these are the rules God wants you to live by. And they're like, yeah, let's do it. So then this is what happens. So Moses kills an animal and he took half of the blood and put it in the bowls. And the other half he splashed against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, we will do everything the Lord has said, we will obey. Um, next slide. Moses then took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made of you in accordance with all these words. So, you know, all the people are gathered there. And if you're unlucky enough to be at the front, if you're one of the eager beavers is there, you're getting blood over you. But when you had that blood on you and you had like that sticky kind of horrible feeling, it would have been a reminder, God is really committed to this. And this is the sign of that. He is committed to you as a people. He's not going to give up on you. And God's saying, if I give up on this, may I die like that animal. That's how committed he is. But when they had that blood, it was that kind of sign. And I, I find that really, for me, I find that really helpful to remember, actually, when I come to take um, communion or the bread and the wine, is that when I'm taking the wine, that's a symbol every time that God is not going to give up on me. It doesn't matter what I've done that week or not done that I should have done. It doesn't matter where my heart attitude has been towards him. He's still committed to me, and he's going to stay committed to me. And I find that really reassuring. Particularly as, for me, as an RE teacher, it means I have to study other religions. And I just, I just don't see that in other religions. You've always kind of got your God or gods, and it's always kind of like, you don't know if you've kind of done enough to please them, and you don't know if you're good enough for them, and maybe you haven't said the right mantra enough times, or maybe you didn't offer the right sacrifice, or maybe you weren't a good enough person that week. But the amazing thing with Jesus is we're promised, no, he's committed to us. And if we ever doubt that, we can look at the cross. For him saying, that's how important you are to me, and I'm committed to you in this. We might not have had the blood of an animal splashed over us, but we've symbolically had the blood of Jesus splashed over us to say, that's how committed I am to this. I actually took your place on this. So I find that really reassuring, to know that he is in the long run with me, even if I'm not. Um, I... A few years ago, my mum was um, really ill. She had a lot of heart problems, and it looked like she was going to die, but she didn't, amazingly. Um, and I remember going into the hospital, and I met the chaplain there. It was List Hospital in Stevenage. And I asked her, what's it like being a chaplain here? And she said, I've got the real privilege of um, calling a lot of the prodigals home. And she basically said, loads of people say this to me. They always say, I've known for a long time that Jesus is real. Well, I've known that there was something about him I need to find out, but I didn't want to go there because I thought it would get in the way of me enjoying my life. Or I felt like I had to let go of things I didn't want to. But now, now I know I'm near the end and I haven't got long left. 
I know I need him. Do you think he might take me back? She said she had a real privilege of saying, yeah, because he's a God abounding in love. And he's been committed to you your whole life, even if you haven't been committed to him, which I thought was really amazing. You know, and she said so many people were like profoundly touched by that. For me, it gives me real hope as well for a lot of the young people that I invested in for a long time. And, you know, um, for a lot of them, I saw them, you know, really connect with Jesus and experience him. But lots of them aren't really living that out anymore. But to know, okay, well, that's between them and God and God is not going to give up on them. And actually, it was never my job anyway. It doesn't make me a bad youth leader. It was just, I just had to let them know about it and love them. As long as I did that, the rest is up to them and God. But I have real faith that God is not, well, cares about it more than I do, and he's not going to give up on them. Um, next slide, please. I've actually, I, you know, it's really interesting to think about this. I am, I'm reading a book in a moment by a historian called Tom Holland, who's not a Christian, but he basically asked a question, why is Western society the way it is? And he comes to the conclusion of it's really Christian, basically. It's more Christian than we, we want to admit. In our, in our secular society. But he says this, he said, Apollo might have favoured the Trojans and Herod the Greeks, but no god had ever cared for a people with the jealous obsessiveness of the god of Israel. I really love that. That it's just like, you know, that God gets jealous. He doesn't want to share us with anyone. He wants to love us and he wants us to be his people, which is really amazing. But we're not very good at that. Uh, and, this, and that's the story, isn't it, the whole way through the Old Testament, and for a lot of the New Testament, actually, is that he's really good at loving us and being faithful, but we're not great. But he doesn't give up. It's all across the prophets, um, I think. I really like this verse. Um, next slide, please. It says, Does a young woman forget her jewellery or a bride her wedding dress? But my people forgot me for more days than can be counted. What I love about so many bits like this in the prophets is that God's really vulnerable that he's really just kind of honest with the people, where he's kind of like, wouldn't it be crazy if a bride showed up to a wedding and like forgot to put a dress on? But what's really crazy, you've forgotten me, that God has given you life and has loved you and has made a covenant with you. There's a bit in Hosea where he says, your love for me is like the morning dew or the mist, like it's there for a bit and then it just evaporates. And again, I'm like, if you just think about it, God's just being so vulnerable there. You know, the almighty, powerful God who made everything is basically saying, I wish you loved me a bit better than you do. But what's amazing is so often you get verses like that. The next verse is in saying, I'm still committed to you guys. I'm still going to follow this through, even though you're not playing your part there. So that's the first thing to remember. God doesn't give up in his love. My second point is, and next slide, please. Um, God's love doesn't let us down. I typed in rock, <laughs> solid rock into Google. It's the first thing that came up. So I was like, there you go. It's quite a good image of someone standing on a rock. But it doesn't let us down. Um, I'm going to show you on the next slide an image. Um, potential prize for anyone who gets this. Anyone know who this is? Yeah, Duke of Wellington. Well done. Yeah, that is Arthur Wellesley, the Duke of Wellington. Um, you might not know this. He actually came from, we came from like um, a family that weren't that wealthy. They kind of would be the equivalent of middle, the middle class back then. But he fell in love with um, a girl called Kitty Pakem, who was from a really like, high-class family. And he asked for a hand in marriage, and her dad said, no, you're too, you're too low down. So he said, right, I'm going to go out there, and I'm going to make enough money so I can marry her. 
So he did. He joined the British Army and he served in India for ages and um, with distinction. But then, so years later, he came back and he thought to marry her. So he proposed to her. The dad was like, yeah, you can do it now because you've got enough money. And he was at the wedding service, at the chapel. She walked down the aisle and then he whispered to his best man, my God, she's turned ugly. And then they went on to have a really miserable marriage. They were famous for, like, hating each other and fighting all the time. Um, Now, the reason I've told that story is it starts off, doesn't it, like so many stories we have in our culture of, like, oh, isn't that amazing? Isn't that beautiful? You know, a man that loves the woman so much that he's willing to do anything for her. He's willing to serve for years in India and the army just to win her hand in marriage. But then (laughs) when she shows up, showed that actually he's probably not a very nice person and that he'd gone off her. And like I said, they had a really miserable marriage where he often cheated on her and had lots of mistresses. And that's the truth, actually, that every love in this life we might experience, no matter how good it might be, has the potential to let us down or will let us down at some point. Even if we've got a family member that really loves us, when they're not going to be around forever. Or we might have to move somewhere for work, which means we're quite far away from them. And that's the truth, isn't it, that we, we crave, we long to be loved at all times, and yet the love that we experience in this world of other people, no matter how good it is, can at times fail us or not give us what we want. Um, yeah, so, just bum you all out. But, but then, but that's the amazing news when we look at the gospel again, the story of Jesus. Uh, There's a great verse, next slide please. Uh, this is in Isaiah 26, verse 4. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord himself, is the rock eternal. And when it's using that rock kind of imagery, it's kind of saying he doesn't change. He's always there, and he always loves you, and he's always for you. Or, next slide, please. In Psalm 118, it says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. And it keeps saying that in this psalm. His love endures forever. And I know we sung it earlier. But just how amazing is that? And just think about that. How amazing is that? That God's love for us doesn't, he doesn't get a bit like bored of us. Or it doesn't change over time. Or he doesn't change his mind. That right now, every single one of us, he loves us with a, with a depth and a sincerity that isn't going to change. And that will constantly stay. I've got a friend that I kind of grew up with in church. Um, well, two friends who, who got married. And they were always one of those couples in the church who were just like always at the front helping out, like an amazing couple. And a lot of the other younger couples were like, we want to be like them. Recently, the guy turned around and said to the wife, I don't want to be with you anymore, and has decided to to walk out. And so we're kind of going through that and trying to process that. But what's been really amazing is that um, the woman in the situation, my friend, has really just dug into God. And she said to me the other day, she said, doesn't matter what he said to me or what's going on, even though it's incredibly painful and I, it's hard to process, I know that God is there and I felt his love in a stronger and deeper way than I've ever felt it before. And she just said it makes me realise that he's the only thing that I can truly depend on and will truly always be there for me. It says, uh, next slide please, it says this in Psalm 23, you know the famous, the Lord is my shepherd one. This is a bit right at the end, and I really love this verse. Surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life. I love that. You know, always you're going to be loving me, and always you'll be for me. And my third point. Uh, Next slide, please. God's love transforms us. 
Um, so this is kind of, so we've talked a bit about, well I've talked, you haven't, you've listened, potentially. Uh, we've talked a bit about like God's love, how it should transform, um, well what it does for us. But here's a kind of practical element, is that it should transform us. Um, let me give you an example. Um, next slide please. This is in Gospel of Mark. It tells us about one of the disciples, it's a guy called James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And Jesus gives them the nicknames, the Sons of Thunder. Um, now, I don't think it's because they, I don't know, get at predicting the weather or whatever. I think it's because they had really fiery tempers. Um, they, they were angry people who got angry quickly. And a bit like thunder is loud and sudden, I think they were probably quite like that as well. Remember, we think like fishermen, oh, that's nice. We can think like Sunday school stories of cartoon people on boats. But actually, fishermen, as jobs, they were normally quite rough and coarse people. Um, there was a real kind of, you know, um, working class kind of job. It'd be a bit like, modern day equivalent might be like people on a construction site of kind of builders. It'd be that kind of uh, vibe of person. And these two kind of, I reckon, were often getting angry. There's one point when they go past a village who reject Jesus, a Samaritan village. And they're like, should we call down fire from heaven to destroy them? And Jesus has to be like, yeah, that's not what I'm about, guys. But it kind of shows you what their mentality was. A bit like, you cross us, yeah, you'll regret it. They were those types of people. That's what John was like. But one thing I think is amazing, if you see John, as he follows Jesus, he gets transformed by the love of Jesus. Um, next slide, please. Um, a couple of times in John's gospel, so he wrote this, well, he probably wrote this, uh, it says, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. Now, I love this. because So John's talking about himself here, but he never says his own name. He calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. And I don't think he's doing that because, well, I think because Jesus had favorites. I'm not, I don't think he's like, yeah, I was the top disciple. Jesus liked me more than anyone else. I think he's saying this like, I can't believe it. God loved me. I'm the one that Jesus loved. Like, he really loved me. I think he was so profoundly impacted by just how he felt of being around Jesus, of the love that he saw displayed to him, that he kind of changed it to his nickname. I'm the one that Jesus loved. If you read 1 John, or 2 John, or 3 John, which are all written by this guy, he doesn't stop banging on about love. He's the guy who keeps saying, you know, God is love and we need to love one another. This is how we show God is love, by loving other people. I reckon he was one of those people, and I'm sure we've all met them, where just when you're in your presence, you feel like they're really for you, you know, and you feel like they're really interested in you, and you just feel like good being around them, um, that kind of thing. But I think he'd been so transformed by the love of God that he knew this is what it's all about, and it completely changed him. It changed him from an angry man to one who is known for being patient and loving and kind. And I think that's, that's what we're all called to to know God's love more, for it to transform us, to change us. I'm sure there'll be loads of stories in this church of people where you've had that. And just one for me quickly. When I've, I've noticed, one, one thing I have at school, the, t- the kids often ask me, sir, who's your favourite teacher? Or they'll, or they'll like be nasty about another member of staff. right? And I'll always be like, hey guys, come on, come on. They're really great. And they're always like, no, you don't mean that. And I'm always kind of like, no, I, I genuinely do. And I say to them, and I mean this, I really like all the staff I work with. There might be some things I don't like about them, or wind me up a bit, but I feel a real affection for them all. 
And I say, it's the same for you guys. There isn't a student here where I think, oh, no, not them coming into my classroom. I'm always like, yeah, you're great. And I've got to feel a real affection. And I share with them, I don't think that's just a me thing. It's not because I'm, I'm James and I'm brilliant. It's, it's not at all. It's just kind of like, the more I've known God's love, the more it changes how I see other people. And it's like, I have, and to the point of, I have this kind of genuine affection for people that is hard to put into words. And I'm like, I know that's not for me, because that's not how I was. You know, definitely wasn't how I was. But it's, that's transformed me over time. But another way it can transform us is just how we view ourselves. So next slide, please. Um, I've got a picture here of Rowan Williams, former Archbishop of Canterbury, and Desmond Tutu, who was the Archbishop in South Africa for a bit. Um, but I love this. Rowan Williams said this quote about Desmond Tutu. He said, um, Desmond Tutu manifestly loves being Desmond Tutu. I love that. And he's making this point. He was saying he so knows that he's loved by God that he really knows that God has made him uniquely and loves him just as he is. And that's made him really like himself and enjoy being him. And I think that's a really good question we could all ask ourselves. I think one of the biggest problems we all have as people is we tend to be more negative about ourselves than other people see us. Have you ever had that? Have you ever had, like, you're, just, you're thinking about yourself and you're like, you can kind of see all the things that you kind of did wrong that week. Or you see those things in your personality that you're like, I wish I didn't do that, but I do. One thing for me, I always go into situations with friends where I come out saying, I wish I hadn't said that and I wish I hadn't said that, you know? Or I'm like, I wish I'd be more patient with this person and hadn't got annoyed at them, snapped at them like I did. And then people will say nice things about me and I'll be like, oh, thanks, that's really nice. But that, that's not how I'm seeing myself. I'm just seeing the, ne- the negative. And I think most of us, that's the default of how we see ourselves normally. And I think that's not how it's supposed to be. That's the result of living in a fallen world. And I think that actually the reality is Again, every single one of us is made in the image of God and is super important to him. And when we know that love, when we experience that love he has for us, I think it can transform us to see ourselves more like that. Um, I know that's kind of happened to me. Um, I got asked a question once. The youth group were... We, we did a thing, which was... I got all the youth um, to say, give yourself a rating out of ten. How much do you like yourself? Ten being like, absolutely love myself. One being hate myself, right? And I was aware... This is risky, you know, but let's give it a go. Most people said about five or six. And then they asked me, James, what do you think? And I was like, um, probably a 9.5, close to a 10. And I was like, but that's not because I'm like, I'm great. I am, but it's because, I was like, it's because I think God's love has transformed me. I can see myself more through his eyes now. And I, I, I was like, I really like the way he's made me. And that's taken me a long time to get there, but I, I'm getting there that makes sense it is transforming how I see myself now with that just on a practical note and I was thinking this is probably a fourth point isn't it so I broke my three point rule but this is an epilogue um, can I have the next slide please this is the verse that I quoted earlier um, and this is a practical thing for us to think about as, as I finish in Ephesians 3 verse 17 to 19 this is what Paul says to the Ephesian Christians he says I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know that love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God.
Now, one or two things to say about that. The first one is, next slide, please. Um, Paul uses two words here to say how Christians would experience God's love. The first one is rooted. Now, if you think about a, a tree or a plant, what do roots do? They anchor it, they keep it upright, but they also nourish it, don't they? They give it all the minerals and water that it needs to live. And Paul's saying the same thing. May the thing that nourishes you, that builds you up as a person, that gives you life, be that you're loved by God. May that be your reality. And, and he says, may you know. That's not a very good translation of the original Greek. Because when we hear know, we think it's just intellectual knowledge. But it means know in like what you know in your innermost being. Okay, so I'm, I know, for example, what it's like. I know about Cambridge University. I know about St. John's College because it's just down the road. I know a lot about it. But I've never gone as a student. If I spent three years there studying, then I would know, know about it. And that's what Paul's getting at here. He's saying, do you just know in your head or do you know in your heart? Is it a living, breathing reality? The second metaphor he uses, next slide please, is established. And it's the same word in Greek that architects used to use for the structure of a building that kept it upright and kept it strong. So Paul's saying, may the very thing, may your very kind of skeleton that holds you up be that you're loved by Jesus. May that be the thing that gives you structure to every single day and it informs every decision you make and it tells you exactly who you are. I find that, I love that. I find that what a great challenge because Paul's not having to go and being like, you lot are rubbish, you don't know you're loved by God. He's saying, guys, this is something we're all growing in. You'll never, and he says, may you know how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. That was a Greek idiom to talk about something that didn't have a limit. So he's basically saying, you'll never get to the point where you fully know it. There's always more of it to know and to explore. And so his prayer is, guys, I just hope that you know that more. I think that's a really great prayer for all of us to pray. One of my most common prayers is, Jesus, would you show me your love again in a new and different way? Because we can't just live off occasional experiences. Because that can happen, can't it? You could, maybe you've been to church one time or you read something in the scripture or you went to a festival or something like that and you just had a real deep experience of God's love. That's amazing. But if that's the case, you can't just live off that for the rest of your life because the memory of that will fade. It needs to be a, a regular thing that we're experiencing, not just with our minds but in our hearts. When I was younger, I, like I said, I went to a Bible college and I was like, yeah, I know God loves me. I hear about it all the time. Yeah, yeah, I get it, you know. And I was like, you know, it's kind of done. But something happened there. And I don't know what happened. I think it's because quite a few people were praying for me. But it was like I would wake up and just feel God's love for me, like tangibly in the atmosphere. And like I couldn't put it into words. And all of a sudden, when I started to read bits in the Bible, I could see it in a new way of God showing his love for me. And it was absolutely transformative. I noticed that a lot of my insecurities started to really diminish. Like I said, I noticed I started to like myself a lot more. I noticed that I started to get just a lot more confident in general. I noticed that I started to like God more. Like he went from just kind of being God to being like, I know he's God, I really love God. You know, my love for him grew. But I just kind of felt it, you know. And so now always a question I regularly ask is, do I feel loved by God right now? And if not, I just pray to him, God, will you show me that? No, I don't get like zapped on the spot. But 
so often it might be like a day or two later, I'd just be like, yeah, I, do, I, just, I, I feel that. I, feel, I can almost like feel it here. Like I feel loved by him. Or like a scripture will come to my mind and I'll be like just thinking about it and be like, wow, that really like shows God's love for me in a different way I hadn't thought about before. He, I think he loves to love people, but we've got to ask sometimes. As a final note, it's also something, so God's love and faithfulness is something we get to live out to others as well. And a question might be, how are we doing that with the people around us, particularly those who don't know Jesus? I just want to share a quick story to finish. Um, I worked with a teacher, so at St. Bede's, it's Christian school, Christian ethos, but a lot of, a lot of the staff and quite a number of the students aren't Christian. Um, one of the staff members there wasn't, and she had a lot of health problems, where, and they were kind of health problems where the doctor's like, we don't really know what it is. And so it's causing her a lot of anxiety, like she couldn't sleep at night and things like that. Um, and so I'd, I'd spoken to her a bit about it, because I got on well with her, and I was like, you know, what's going on? You, you could see she was in real distress and real kind of fear, and that there was kind of no hope, because it was like, even the people are supposed to fix me, they can't. I, so I started praying for her, and I was like, all right, God, I want to actually pray with her, okay? But you've got to give me a moment where I can do it. And I felt like God said to me, after about a week, I was like, okay, when, when's it going to happen, God? Because schools are busy, you know, you don't get much time where it's appropriate to do something like that. But I felt like he said, you're not going to get the organic moment, James, you've just got to go for it. Um, anyway, it was a Monday, I was doing a bit of photocopying, and I just felt God was like, okay, now's the time. So I went into her classroom, I was like, how are you? We got talking about how a week had been. And she said, what's really difficult is everyone's asked me how I am, but no one can do anything. And it's at that point, I was like... here we go and I was like well like I've been praying for you and is it right if I pray for you now and she said yeah Um, and so I was like okay I'm going to pray for like healing for your body because I think Jesus can do that but I'm also going to pray for the anxiety to go for better sleep if that's all right and she's like yeah right so I did I prayed it Uh, felt awkward but did it anyway and afterwards now but yeah, afterwards, she was like, oh, wow, I feel really emotional. I don't know why. Like, I feel like crying. And then she started doing that thing that some women do, where it started to fan her eyes like that. <laughs> anyway. And I was like, yeah, come on. Like, <laughs> like, you know, I could see the Holy Spirit working in her heart. And she was just like, I just, and she, she even said, I just feel really loved. Like, wow. And she's just like, oh, thank, thanks for doing that kind of thing. And I was like, look, it's not me. I think you're experiencing something of God there. Now, when I went home that day in my car, I was absolutely buzzing. I was like, that was great, right? And I was like, wouldn't it be awesome if I came in tomorrow and she was completely healed? That didn't happen. But what was amazing is that I, think, I know she experienced something of God's love there. But she also experienced faithfulness because it wasn't just me. There were about three other members of staff and who were also Christians. And they all said, I don't know why, but this teacher is really on my mind. And so I shared with them what had happened, and they're like, oh, oh, that's cool, because I felt like God had said, one of them said, I felt like God had said, each morning, get her a pastry. So they'd just been buying her like a croissant or something like that, just to be like, how are you? Been thinking about you. Sorry that it's so rubbish. What was amazing, I know another member of staff invited them around for dinner and just listened to them and again shared God's love with them. Now, we didn't know we were all doing that, but we weren't just showing love and then like, yeah, see you later. It was being backed up in faithfulness of every day, how are you showing that? As Christians, not only do we get the privilege of experiencing that, 
but we get the, the privilege of showing it, of, of sticking in there with people, of just being there for them, asking how they are, of showing them that practical love each day. Um, now, she, she's not to school anymore. She moved to a different part of the country. But I really feel like, I feel so, it was like such a privilege for me and the other members of staff to show her something of God's love for her. She didn't become a Christian, but I do believe that she's tasted the sank of God and that seed planted, and we can trust him with the rest. My challenge to you all is, who, am I, who might the people that you feel are on your heart? Because I think God does that. I think he does put people on our heart. And you might know who it is right now as I'm speaking. There's someone in your life, and you're like, yeah, it's that person. I once had a teacher where everyone else is like, no one can get on with them. And I was like, well, <laughs> here we go. It's my challenge. And I broke her down. But like, we're good friends by the end. But it might be that. I don't think that was just me. I think God was like, I want you to love that person. Okay, I'm just going to pray as we finish. Uh, Lord, it's just so amazing, Father, that you are abounding in love and faithfulness. That you don't just have a bit of it. You're like overflowing with it. And I just pray for all of us now, you would help us to know in a deeper and stronger way in our own lives that love. Thank you, Jesus, that you do love us. And I thank you that you're never going to stop loving us and that your love doesn't fail us or let us down. Father, I pray for anyone here right now that has felt uh, let down recently or that just people have failed them. I just pray right now that you would just pour out your love on those people and that we would know that you are the rock eternal who doesn't change. And I just pray right now, that prayer that Paul prayed for the Ephesians, I just pray right now for Histon Baptist Church, that, Lord, we would be rooted and established in your love. That would be the thing that nourishes us each day, the thing that holds us up. May we all know it in a deeper and a stronger way. And I pray that we would, um, that, Lord Jesus, you would help us to see ourselves the way you see us and with the love that you see us. And I pray also, Father, that you would just be putting people in our minds throughout this week of people that we could get alongside and show love and faithfulness to. And that you would give us the wisdom each day of how to do that, how practically to do that. And I just pray right now, you're, you're just your peace on all of us as we, as we go from this place. Amen.